the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Water in the court. Be seated. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquart. Todd Marquart, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM, The Answer on podcasts, YouTube, Facebook Live, and you can go to www.talklawradio.com and search the archives for previous episodes. Each episode, I'd like to talk about some aspect of Texas or federal law that seems to need some explaining. You can email me with your questions at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. And because I'm licensed to practice law in Texas, the state bar is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the state bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, Material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. And Judge John Runhell is providing... Uh, this episode for educational purposes only as well, and to give the public general information about the criminal justice system. So the views, thoughts, and opinions of Todd Marquardt, that's me, are my own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Judge Ron Hell. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show today, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans, new businesses and old businesses which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family-limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like in district court, county court, and probate court. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about the law on the radio. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing and failing to do your will. Please help Honorable Judge Ron Ronhell and me give good information today about the criminal justice system. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. And today, like I said, we're uh, meeting with uh, Honorable Judge Ron Ron Hill, and we're going to be talking about the criminal justice system, which is comprised of multiple interrelated pillars, including academia, law enforcement, forensic services, the judiciary, and corrections. Judge, welcome to the show. Good morning, Todd. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so exciting for me to to be able to ask you questions on, live on the air. I hope I don't surprise you. No, you can't surprise <laughs> me. I look forward to it. I enjoyed coming up here in this beautiful building. You have a great view. I wish everybody could look at the view that you have. I've been enjoying looking out your window, uh, watching San Antonio wake up this morning. 
Yeah, that's a good point, Mark. We might want to do that sometime, show a video of, of what we get to see. Uh, well, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, uh, how long you've been a judge and all that. My name's Ron Drangel. Um, I have been a criminal district judge in Bear County. This is my 15th year, so it's 14 plus years. Um, I handle felony cases, which start at the death penalty range. So it's death penalty, capital murder cases, on down to state jail felonies. Uh, we have a docket every single day. I've also been an administrative and presiding judge in Bear County since January of 2015. So I'm very involved with a lot of things policy-wise as it relates to the courthouse and courthouse operations, judicial operations. Um, I feel very blessed to be in that position. Uh, before that, I was a d- criminal defense attorney for a decade. I was a prosecutor before that handling aggravated felony cases. I worked with Child Protective Services before I went to law school and, uh, and, and basically have stayed in the area ever since. I promised my friend Shannon that I would ask you about your, your work with Child Protective Services. So that, that was a long, long time ago. That was in the very early 90s, yes. And uh, I worked in a generic office, so we handled investigations. We handled court uh, testimonies. We handled foster children, so I would have to go and pick up foster children and take them to wherever they needed to go. And we handled uh, an in-person caseload where I would be involved with families that had their children with them, but CPS had to monitor them for a particular period of time. Mm -hmm. And so how did that work impact you? Oh, it was it was incredible. Um, it was my first professional job. I finished law. I finished college. I got a degree in history, and you, there's not a lot that you can do with a history mm-hmm. degree other than think about going to graduate school. And ultimately, I wanted to be a history professor. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got a job with CPS. I applied there and with probation at the time, kind of figuring that there was something similar, something that I was interested in. I got a job with CPS. Um, it really did impact me. I had to deal a lot with investigating uh, sexual assault of children um, and, and neglect of children. And I'll give you an example real quick. Um, so there was a case, and I had two children uh, that I had at foster care. So I was responsible for taking them to the doctors and taking them to whatever appointments they wow. had. And I would pick them up, and I had just bought a brand-new vehicle. My first job, I got a, my first new vehicle. I was excited. It was a Ford Tempo. It was a 1991 Ford Tempo. And so that was my pride and joy. Mm -hmm. And so I picked up these children to take them to a doctor. And as we're walking to the car, one of the kids, he was like a five-year-old young boy. He was a boy. Picked up a rock. And as he walked to my passenger side, basically went along the entire side of my car with that rock. Oh, my gosh. And created this huge scratch. And obviously, instantaneously, I wasn't very happy about that. But very quickly, I composed myself and recognized that these are children that didn't grow up with the same background that I did. Mm -hmm. And so they required a certain level of understanding and patience and care. And so I think those kind of experiences sort of help shape me in looking at other folks and recognizing that not everybody has the same uh, support in the home, the same support in the community to teach them what is right and what is wrong. So that kind of set me up on that trajectory. That's wow. that's one example, but those are the kind of things that you go through when you work with yeah, CPS. Yeah, I guess so. What does it take? What are the qualifications for being a district judge? You have to be licensed as an attorney. You have to work as a lawyer. Uh, the The statute just changed before this next cycle, which where we're going to elect folks next year uh, during the presidential election, was four years of experience as a as an attorney, a mm-hmm. licensed attorney. That's going to now change for district courts. It's going to change to eight years. Okay. So you got to be licensed at least eight years. Beyond that, there's no real experience as it relates to trials or anything like that. You just have to convince the voting public that you're qualified. That's a big part of it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so <laughs> in, in your time as judge, um, What's one thing that has really surprised you that you've learned or, or witnessed or seen? That's a very good question. Um, there are so many things that have surprised me. Uh, I always had this understanding of judges and the court system as sort of being beyond my, my reach, beyond my touch. Um, you always have this idea that it's, it's in another place. And I think people, generally speaking, have that thought process when it comes to the court system. You don't understand it, right? 
if you don't understand it, then you'll attach meanings behind it that you don't completely get. And so for me, the biggest thing is um, there is a process. You deal with a lot of people. You're being watched in a million different ways. And so that's always something to keep in mind with everybody that you deal with. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for saying that. We've got to take a break. Uh, We're talking to Honorable Judge Ron Ronhell, District Judge here in Bear County. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the cases that he's been uh, working on. And uh, we'll be talking about his podcast. So stay tuned. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. Also on podcasts, Facebook, YouTube. So uh, follow me, subscribe, and uh, you can get notifications on uh, when we post new content. Uh, the reason that I do this uh, radio and podcast is because uh, God had one rule: don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Then we had the Ten Commandments, and now we have municipal, state, federal uh, lawmakers that won't stop making new laws. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Judge, uh, have you seen that movie, The Ten Commandments? Yes, I have. Yes. That's a classic. Did you know that – who who do you think or who do you remember produced, directed, and narrated that movie in 1956? Uh, I remember Moses was a very larger than life big character. It was it was a one of those films I saw when I was very very young. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't specifically tell you who directed it or, or who. Well, acted. I I just found a quote. I didn't know who it was either. But the the same guy was produced it Charlton Heston. Well, he was Moses. Uh huh. But the narrator was Cecil DeMille, and in an interview about the movie, he said. It's impossible for us to break the law. We can only break ourselves against the law. And so I, I thought that that was uh, profound, that the the law doesn't change. It can't be broken. Right. The law is the law. And when somebody violates the law, well, they they not only hurt society or the state or the, or the victim in the case— but they're also damaging themselves, right? And so um, you you see defendants every day, every day, and multiple. And some people might be innocent. Some people might be guilty. Um, how do you how do you go through that? You know the thing about the criminal law, which is interesting, is it's not really a black and white always situation. Every case has to be taken individually because you're looking at folks' hearts. Um, You're looking at people in terms of what motivates them, their backgrounds, what their intentions are, the end result of whatever it is that they did in terms of the damage to society or other individuals. And so in looking at people's hearts, there's always so much more that come into play as opposed to they're guilty or they're not guilty. Um, And I'll give you an example. Um, I gave this example on my podcast, and and to me, it, it, it kind of reflects how the system works. So you have two individuals. You have one person who stole a piece of chewing gum, walking out of HEB, looked over at the counter and saw all the different things that are on display, grabs a piece of gum, sticks it in their pocket, and then walks out. That's a theft. It's a theft of a piece of mm-hmm. chewing gum. You have a second individual who also steals the exact same piece of chewing gum, but this time he takes it out of a woman's purse 
who left it next to her unattended. And so they each committed the exact same crime. But obviously, the heart of somebody that could go into somebody's purse is very different than somebody who could just take something from HEB or Walmart. And so those are the kind of things that you need to, to look at, uh, to distinguish, to recognize who is this person. Obviously, somebody who committed a theft uh, who was young versus somebody who's, who's older, uh, somebody who, who, who does things uh, for purposes that may not be as good as, as ill-intended. Everything is shades of gray. And then also you have to look at at what the end result is. So let's say somebody's intoxicated. They hit somebody and that person dies or the same person who's intoxicated in the exact same way hits somebody, that person gets injured. Well, one is an intoxication manslaughter. One is an intoxication assault. So as a result of that behavior, you have two different punishments depending on the end result. Somebody who could be even more intoxicated that doesn't hit anybody is looking at a DWI, and that punishment range is very different. So it's not only the heart, but it's also the end result and everything that goes into play with that. Okay. Well, that's uh, a lot more uh, philosophy than I thought that there was. I, I, I just figured that uh, you look at the elements of the crime. Yes. And – they check these off, and that's probably the way the prosecutor presents it. Um, uh, but then uh, maybe the defense uh, paints a picture about who the defendant really was. Right. That's okay. right. That's right. And I could give you a million examples that are similar. You know, we had a, uh intoxication manslaughter case where a jury gave an individual defendant probation, which is always surprising because you never really think somebody who's charged with that could get probation from a jury. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the way the law works is if somebody is 1% responsible for the death of another as a result of their intoxication, then they're guilty. It's either not guilty or guilty. But if you look at that 1% fault, that's where you think of the punishment being different from somebody who is 100% at fault. In other words, the jury was looking at things like uh, where the individual uh, person who died was stopped, their car stopped in the middle of a highway, which was very busy around the corner, which Mm -hmm. folks couldn't see. Um, And then there were other factors involved as it related to that offense. So juries sometimes uh, factor in somebody's guilty, but maybe they're not as guilty as 100%. And so the result of that would be a difference in sentencing. So the the jury decides guilt. In, In criminal cases, both sides have a right to have a jury trial. So both the state and the defense say, we want a jury trial. They both have to waive it for there not to be a jury trial. Before the trial starts, the defense is the one who has to choose if and only if I'm found guilty by a jury, do I choose to go to the court for punishment or do I choose to go to the jury for punishment? Okay. And they have to make that election in writing. Okay. So if, if they were very sympathetic to the jury, then that's when they might get a lighter punishment. Otherwise, it would be in the judge's hands. It's always a risk. It's like you never, you never know what the end result's going to be. But there's uh, sentencing guidelines, right? Not on the state side. On the state side, you have a range of punishment, and they're very broad. So for a first-degree felony, think of murder, aggravated sexual assault of a child, aggravated robbery, the aggravated type cases, aggravated kidnapping. The range of punishment starts from five years in the penitentiary up to 99 years or life, and every single number in between. Wow. Lesser felonies, like a second-degree felony, has a different range of punishment. It's 2 to 20. And so that entire range is something that whoever the finder uh, of fact would be for the sentencing could make a determination as to what is appropriate in that case. So the, the jury couldn't go below the minimum? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Well, sometimes you hear of jury nullification in civil suits, you mm-hmm. know, where the, the jury will decide something that was um, – decide somebody shouldn't be guilty even when it was – obvious that the person was guilty or not guilty but responsible. Right. I don't have that experience on the civil side just because I didn't really do civil work. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the criminal side, you don't really see that. Um, I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I don't know. I just haven't seen that. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the other types of cases that, that you would hear in, in your district court. You talked about family violence did we talk about that yet? We, we talked about it before we came on the air. Um, we were talking about the difficulties in family violence. 
I know that there has been some media reports lately as it relates to family violence. I did mostly family violence as a prosecutor. Um, I handled murders, uh, aggravated uh, assaults, aggravated sexual assaults, things related to family violence. And those are very difficult cases to prosecute um, because a lot of it um, relates to evidence. Um, I know that Again, you never know what a jury is going to do. Sometimes folks that read the media uh, assume certain facts. uh, They assume certain things are accurate. And then when they get the end result of whatever that report is, uh, it surprises them. And that's because jury trials are always a risk. Both sides always look at jury trials as what will the end result be here if we take this before a jury? First of all, will a jury find this person guilty? On the criminal side, the Constitution provides a much higher level of proof Mm -hmm. than you do on the civil side. Um, There's the elements that we talked about. Typically, there's five or more. That's the who, what, when, where, how to every criminal offense in the statute. The state's required to prove those beyond a reasonable doubt. And so what exactly does that mean? And back in the day when I was a prosecutor, we could define that for jurors. We could say beyond a reasonable doubt means X. Mm -hmm. So we can't do that anymore. Now we, all we can say is this is the highest level of, of standard, of proof that, that exists in our law, and it must apply to these elements. So the courts and the prosecutors look at that in a way as what type of evidence would it take to prove this. Mm-hmm. Juries have to hear that. And then once juries make a determination as to whether somebody's guilty or not, if they're convicted, then they get the extra evidence that relates to punishment. And so you just never know. We're talking about 12 individuals from the community that have different backgrounds from all stages of life, different experiences. You never know what folks pick up on. So at the end of every trial, I go to the back. I communicate with the jurors, and I I basically thank them. That's always my purpose. Their question to me is, do you always think we did the right thing? Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, look, you are the jury, and juries have to follow the law. So people that follow cases in the media don't have that burden of proof of beyond a reasonable Mm -hmm. doubt. To them, it's like, did this guy do it or not? Right. But when you give the jury instructions, this is how the law reads, this is what the law says, then they look at cases through a different lens which is required in the law. And um, it's very, very often you walk away from from jury process thinking that was a great jury. They really paid attention. Uh, They really focused on the things that that they were supposed to focus on. Mm -hmm. And whatever end result is, that's that's what we consider justice. So let's let's back up in the process just a little bit. So you you mentioned after the trial's over, after the decision's been made, you thank them. What happens um, when the jury leaves the courtroom and goes to uh, deliberate among themselves? The judge is left in the courtroom. The attorneys are left in the courtroom. Does anything happen there? So, so you're talking about while the trial is going and a jury is excused or while the jury is doing their jury deliberation? While they're deliberating. With that case, no. With that case, we're just waiting. But typically in the court, what we do is we bring in one of the other 600 cases that we have pending. Oh, really? uh, And then we deal with those cases. So the way we schedule ours, uh, I work in the 379th Criminal District Court. A lot of folks don't understand exactly what the numbers mean. They're basically the the order in which that court was created. Mm -hmm. So the very first state court, district court in Texas, was the very first court that was created on the state district court side. So this court that I work in was the was 379th court that was created. It happens to be in Bear County. We represent everybody in Bear County. So we have, really, we have up to 2,000 cases that are pending at any given time, which includes motions to revoke or adjudicate guilt, new, new charges, unindicted cases. And so we're always, we're always trying to fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. So when there's a jury deliberating, then we're bringing in other you cases. You don't really wait. You just have to get some other work done. That's exactly right. Wow. That's exactly right. And one thing I heard on your podcast was you explaining how all of the San and all of the Bear County uh, district courts have the same jurisdiction. You share the jurisdiction. That's exactly right. And so how do, how are the cases assigned? So there are 10 criminal district courts. There are 10 courts that handle felony cases in all of Bear County. Uh, and so every 10th arrest falls into the court that I work for, okay. that I work in. So it, it just goes in order. Mm-hmm. If there is a case, then 
that um, it's not a recusal issue, but maybe uh, the appearance may not look appropriate, uh, then any of the other nine could handle, could handle mm-hmm. that case uh, because we all share that same jurisdiction. Uh, sometimes, you know, we have to do that. Uh, sometimes we think I'm not, I'm not recused, but just to maintain the appearance of justice, I'll let another court handle this. Okay. You've heard it here on Talk Law Radio with uh, Honorable Judge Ron Ronhell. We've been talking about district court, and we've been talking about felonies for the most part. When we come back, we'll be talking about sinners and saints, and we'll continue talking about the criminal justice system. Stay tuned. Back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer, interviewing Honorable Judge Ron Runhill, and we've been talking about district court, criminal court, criminal justice system. This is our third segment, and so now we're going to talk about sinners and saints. I was uh, uh, in the 90s, that's that's when I was in high school, and this song by uh, Meredith Brooks was a big hit back then, and so when I developed the Sinners and Saints segment, I thought it would be a good ad. And so uh, the reason I talk about Sinners and Saints is because uh, Martin Luther, he's the one that wrote the 95 Thesis in 1517, he said, the saints are sinners too, but they're forgiven and absolved. So, Judge, I wanted to ask you uh, the opposite. Um, have you had the experience of working with sinners where they they went through the criminal justice system and were rehabilitated and, and changed their lives for good? That's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, and, and you telling me that you remember that song from the 90s tells me you're, you're, you're younger than I am. Yeah. So. I'm feeling like the old guy in this particular studio. Um, yes, um, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I have come across a lot of individuals, and it's hard to put a number on it, and I do not want to exaggerate it, but it's it's a significant number of folks that have come to me after the fact. Um, one guy came up to me uh, maybe a week ago uh, in public, and he said, you sentenced me to prison. It was the right thing for you to do. Um, I got a lot out of it. I came out, and this is what I'm doing now. And he handed me a card showing the nonprofit that he was running and the way he was making a difference in the community. Um, There have been other folks that have come to me and said, you know, you really saved my life by doing this program or that program. And the reality of it is I don't really remember any of them because I'm dealing with so many people all the time. Um, Each day presents a significant number of cases that we handle. So I give all of my attention at that moment to that one particular case, mm-hmm. make sure I delve into it as much as I can. Very rarely do I come across, and I'm not going to say it's never because I do deal with some so across the board, every level of felony case. Mm-hmm. But on occasion, I'll come across an individual that I'll think, I don't really see the positive that this person may present. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure somebody loves them, and and I'm sure that they've done something great in their lives, but there's a sense that uh, they don't really allow that to show through mm-hmm. uh, as to who they are. Most of the time, most of the time, we're dealing with individuals that are a mix, just like you say. Um, we all um, have fallen short of the glory, so all of us um, commit sin in, in various capacities, um, maybe not all is serious enough to call it a, a criminal offense or serious enough to really harm anybody else. But, you know, none of us is perfect. And those are the things that we have to look at when we look at the criminal justice system and when we look at individuals, individuals that are accused of crimes. Um, they may be a person who has done a lot of good things and, and has families that they support and, and have people that love them um, and did something wrong. It certainly doesn't mean that that person shouldn't be punished. 
And that's what juries look at. What's appropriate in this situation? Let's analyze how much of a sinner and how much of a saint exists in this Mm -hmm. person. But it is important that we consider people as a whole. Who are they? Yeah. So you're busy being a judge, um, but you've also developed a podcast of your own. Tell us how you got that idea. What what gave you the passion to work outside of work? Well, when I was uh, in college, I uh, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be uh, – I was in drama, not not necessarily a film actor or anything like that, um, more of a stage-type type actor. I enjoy uh, that experience. And so I've always had that desire in me. Uh, I love to teach. Uh, I teach at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Uh, I get much more out of students and, and, for, and where they're at in their lives, I think, most of the time than what I provide for them. I think they teach me more than I can teach them. Um, and so the educational process is very important to me. Uh, you know, the, the, the Texas uh, judicial ethics a big part of that is that we educate the public. And so um, I went through the Ethics Commission, uh, made sure that uh, I, I, everything on the podcast is ethical and, and, and doesn't cross any lines. I do have some limitations. Um, in the beginning of the podcast, the first episode, I do talk about that. But I, the idea is to bring information to the public. I know sometimes folks uh, watch things in the media and they develop a sense of things that maybe they don't understand. And when folks don't understand things, they attribute some sort of unfairness or unjustness to things. Um, why did this person get this sentence and why did the other person charged with the same offense get a very different sentence? Those kinds of things. And by way of experience, I had a lady. Uh, there was a case that I had on TV. Uh, I didn't say anything, of course, but the person was in front of me. And she just sent me an email and said, look, I'm a voter. Uh, uh, I care about these issues. I'm angry at this particular plea bargain uh, that was made by the prosecutor, and so I'm demanding the max kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I I did send her an email back, and it was and it was like, this is sort of how you know this is the range of punishment. Judges can't tell you anything about pending cases, so I can't talk about that. But I can point to what's on that record, and what the record says is the range of punishment is six is a six months up to two years. Because she, she was advocating for this person to go to prison for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So the range of punishment is six months to two years max um, with that particular offense. And obviously the media report made it seem a little like it was a higher level offense. Um, so all I did was I, I said that. And to understand how plea bargains work, I invite you to listen to my episode on the plea bargains and, and my podcast, which is called Beyond the Gavel with Judge Ron Rangel. She sent me an email back the next day said, I listened to that episode. It was an, oh, my God, that was wonderful. You really explained things. I really appreciated you directing me there. Thank you so much. Um, I admit that I responded in in a moment of anger and passion Mm -hmm. when I sent you that email. And so that's a wonderful thing to do. Please continue to to do this podcast so people can get an understanding. That's a great testimonial. it It was fantastic. It just made my, it made my week. It made it feel like it's all worth it. So tell us, what are some of the topics that you've already discussed? Well, I just got done. Uh, we posted this past week uh, uh, an interview with a lady who's a court interpreter. And a lot of folks don't understand all the different people, all the different work that goes into making a process like the justice system work. I got a lot out of speaking to her. I learned a lot about what they do. Before that, we had a social worker with the public defender's office. Um, that was that was a very highly rated episode. I sort of explained holistic defense and where it is that we're going now with public defenders, indigent defense, things like specialty courts, where we really try to attack the underlying causes of crime. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, I run in Bear County the felony mental health court. Okay. Uh, we started it about a year and a half ago. It took me. Uh, several years to get to get it off the ground, get the right funding, and make sure that all the pieces were in place. And so, if somebody is bipolar or schizophrenic, fifty-three percent of those uh, nationally that get arrested have either mental health issues, they have drug addiction issues, or both. And so, if you can attack those kinds of issues at the onset, theoretically, then you're you're attacking the the underlying cause of crime with certain types of individuals. Um, there's an interesting statistic that I read in one of the textbooks that I've used. 70% of cases that are charged as felonies 
are committed by 7% of offenders. So that's a big repeat offender statistic. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is then what do we need to do to bring that level down, that number down? Mm -hmm. And it goes beyond just what the system can do. It is a, it is a national humanistic societal right. issue, things that we need to touch on. And so that was the last one. Before then, I talked to uh, somebody who works in human rights. I've talked to a, a court reporter. Our next episode, we've already recorded. Uh, that is uh, a, the lady that runs the jury room in Bear County. So the, the issue there is what happens when you get summoned? So you're, one day you're hanging out in your home. You go to your mailbox. You get a summons in the mail. You know, you, you curse whoever's name is on it. <laughs> Hopefully it's not mine. But then you go about recognizing that it's a service and a duty that you mm-hmm. have to do for the community. And so what happens then? And so that's what we talk about. Uh, hopefully I can do a family violence prosecutor after that. And there's some other folks that we're talking to to bring on. So what's that website again? It's beyondthegavelpodcast.com. Or they can find it on Apple or iHeart or anywhere. That's right. On any on any podcast platform, Spotify and all the other ones. Yes. And who helps you? I have an intern who was my intern last semester, and uh, somebody was in court, and they said, you know, they said, Ron, you got a great radio voice. You should really be on the radio. And I said, you know, I thought about it. I'm a boxing ring announcer, a professional boxing ring announcer, so I've done that. I really enjoy doing that. I enjoy being the moderator. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, to give speeches in public because of my job and because mm-hmm. of what I do. And so I love doing that. And so... She took it to heart. I looked at her and I said, let's get something going. And, and we created everything from the name to the website design. And we've done it all in-house, uh, the two of us. And I got to give her credit. She really has done more than that, mm-hmm. uh, m- more than half. She's done way beyond what I could ever ask for. Her name is Alana Zariello. I got to give her a shout out. She's yeah. going to start law school in August. I'm very, very proud of her. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Alana. Uh, We're here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer and on podcasts everywhere, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, Email me at host at talklawradio.com with your questions. Uh, We'll be right back. we got to take a break. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Honorable Judge Ron Runhill with the District Court here in Bear County. And we've been talking about the criminal justice system. And this is the fourth segment. So you know what that means. And now it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. So, Judge, uh, in the Bible, uh, the Bible talks about legacy. Um, in Genesis 49.1, uh, Jacob blessed his sons and kind of told them what he expected of, of how they were to proceed with their lives without him. And because um, Marquardt Law Firm sponsors the show and, and we do estate planning, the, the central philosophy behind it is leaving a legacy to those you leave behind. And so um, one definition of, of legacy comes from the Latin verb legere, to appoint by last will. Um, but now we, we use wills. Uh, sometimes we leave assets. Uh, sometimes besides money or property, we leave behind a legacy of service. Um, is there something unique you 
can point to that that you inherited or that you learned from those who went before you? Or is there something that, that you hope that those that come after you will have learned from you? That's a very good question. Uh, so I'm going to get a little personal um, because we're talking about that issue. Um, so my my wife passed. Uh, almost it's going to be five years now, almost five years ago. So my 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 daughters have been through a lot, um, and so I've I've given them basically everything uh, that she owned that was important to her. Things like pieces of jewelry, clothing, uh, things like that, and that they really value that. And then, on the same token, my father is invalid. Uh, he's 81 years old, and um, and so requires requires round the clock care. So my brothers and I are really focused on making sure that he's taken care of and that he's okay. We sort of alternate going to see him and uh, take care of him. I took my mom to a movie. You brought up Jacob uh, on Easter, uh, and I took her to go see his only son, which is a story of Abraham uh, oh, okay. and Isaac. And obviously, after Isaac, you get uh, Jacob, mm-hmm. and so uh, it, it's it's touching. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful story. Uh, it means a lot. And so for me, uh, the legacy that I would really hope that my children and and they're they're great kids, and so they're you know twenties and thirties. So they're they're at that stage where they're exhibiting certain things. But the idea of that touch of humanity, uh, the love for others, um, make sure that they. Uh, Service is important. My my family and I have donated 300 pairs of shoes uh, to children in need, uh, parts of the community where there's not a lot of support every year. And, and just to see these children really, really means a lot. Uh, Martin Luther King had a lot to do with my thought process and development um, as it relates to caring for those that are less fortunate. We have um, a society where if you look at the criminal justice system, if you look at those that get arrested, and, and if you look at those that are victimized, both, they fall under a demographic which always includes folks, uh, generally speaking, that are uh, uneducated, uh, that don't have uh, the ability to uh, uh, support others because they are unsupported. Uh, they're young, no high school education. Um, generally speaking, they come from parts of the community uh, that don't have a lot of support. And so it's important to get out there to meet people and to make sure that those that don't have that support, that understanding of humanity and concern for one another, that they get out there and they get involved and that they that express that. They express that through not only you know action but, but by being kind to others. It's important to be kind. And, uh, you know, not everybody in this world is that way. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we have to understand that as part of what we do. Um, and so we just have to guard ourselves from that. Uh, make sure that we focus on the kinds of things that um, that make us better people. Just constantly improve who you are. In terms of things, you know, I do have things, uh, but I don't know if they would appreciate things like a motorcycle or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they would appreciate the clothing. But the things that I've given them that were their mothers, they really do hold an attachment to that that's meaningful. It's the memories that really matters, right? Right. Everybody, everybody that we carry in our heart that we care for. That's a that's a significant thing for them to always focus on. That's what I've learned in doing probate is uh, even if it's not worth a lot of money, people will still fight over the things mm-hmm. because that's all they have left. Mm-hmm. Uh, their loved one's gone. And I'm sure you know, attorneys, generally speaking, I know a lot that don't have wills uh, that don't have a probate plan, right? Like that mechanic whose vehicle seems like is always mm-hmm. falling apart or the contractor whose house is falling apart. There's some studies that um, indicate around the world that folks that are elderly, folks that are of a certain age, look back and wish that they could change or things that they cherish. Everything revolves around relationships, everything. Mm-hmm. In the end, that's what we have. It's not only our relationships here, but you know, our relationships with those that have passed. And so that's, that's significant. And I think understanding that is more than just expressing it. It's actually, actually getting a true recognition of what that means. And hopefully my, my kids are, are learning that now, and they'll always take that with them. And that's the legacy that should be passed And on. they'll have this podcast to, to listen to. Always. And remember. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned your father and, and the care that he needs. Um, that's my passion is uh, helping the elderly understand uh, complex legal matters and 
and helping those that care for them with with the legal issues that are involved. And uh, when I was uh, thinking about our show today, I thought about the um, the the felonies with uh, exploitation of the elderly. Have you heard any of those cases? Absolutely. Um, so the majority of cases in felony courts, this is nationwide uh, statistically, over 90% of those are nonviolent. Um, and when you talk about nonviolent, you do include cases like theft. And so we have to look at those in a different, put those in a different uh, grouping as it relates to the charges. I mean, taking advantage of elderly folks is, you know, I've had cases where a vacuum cleaner salesman uh, will go into a home and, and, and take advantage of the circumstance mm-hmm. with an elderly person and take jewelry. You've had other circumstances where people are responsible for bank bank accounts, make mm-hmm. themselves somehow or another a power of attorney, and they'll empty that. Others um, have done it by show of affection. That's a very common thing now, the, ro- the romance scams. Happens a lot to uh, folks that are in their 70s where they'll be contacted by somebody and, and, and they'll be told that they're loved and, and, and then their bank accounts will be emptied out. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that kind of where we have to, you know, officers come in, there's warrants that they want me to look at, show that there's probable cause to freeze a bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, $50,000, $100,000 can go in a heartbeat yeah. uh, with somebody who can say, hey, this is what I need in order to be able to move down and be with you kind of thing. Yeah, so what I tell people is uh, find somebody you trust who's yes. trustworthy, <laughs> who's yes. worthy of trust, um, because it's not always the oldest son or or the daughter. Um, sometimes you have to look uh, to extended family um, because you, you want to pick somebody who – takes care of their own business because they're going to be having to take care of their own business plus your business and juggle those things simultaneously and a, an, and is a person of good character. So, uh, again, it goes back to relationships, and uh, I think it's a, a difficult decision, one that you shouldn't just name a, a child because they're your child, um, or you could name a bank. You know, right. I sometimes tell people I'd rather the bank steal from me than my own kids. <laughs> yeah, and, and you make a good point. It's not only a good person, but somebody who's responsible. Because we've seen in the justice system what happens a lot is somebody has some financial issues. They mean right. They mean well. But they'll say, wait, let me borrow a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Let me. This is an opportunity that I can – and I'm going to pay this back. And then the next thing they know, they're consistently doing that to where then – there's a theft of a large sum of money. Yeah. So somebody who's not as back. responsible, that's also a big thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a good point. Um, let's let's circle back to um, some of the cases that, that you work on. We mentioned family violence, um, and there's some felony DWIs. There's some felony theft. Uh, you, you mentioned some aggravated crimes. Um uh, what portion of, of your day or your caseload do you think uh, – what would be the most and what would be the least? Probably the most uh, cases that we see, the most types of cases that we see are, are, are drug possessions. Um, the legislature makes certain drugs, things like cocaine, uh, heroin, methamphetamine, uh, certain pills – uh, certain drugs automatically they become uh, they become a state jail, which is a felony offense. The more they possess, the higher that level is, and so that's probably the most. You're dealing with a lot of people that have been in the throes of addiction for a very long time, and sometimes the addiction is coupled with other violent behavior. So it's not always that you see just drug addiction or drug use. Sometimes it's that plus something else. The idea of the celebrated case, the stuff that we see on TV, those aren't as frequent. Um, thank God. <laughs> thank God, yes. Um, we did have a death penalty case uh, where a jury found an individual guilty and sentenced him to death. That case is currently going through the appellate process. Uh, that was uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, before that, I have had a couple of other death penalty uh, cases. Uh, there was one where a jury found a person guilty of capital murder but did not assess death. And so uh, those are not quite as frequent. The murders. The murder rate is going up, but it's still not as frequent as those, those other lower-level type mm-hmm. cases. And they're very difficult to deal with because ultimately the idea is 
if the jury were to hear all of these facts, every single thing that would come before them from both sides, because everything is something that they should hear, what would the end result be? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you could have a murder case where the end result is going to be life. In other cases, you could have a murder case where a jury is going to give a very minimal – when I say minimal, I'm talking 15, 20 years in prison depending on the circumstance. And by way of example, you could have three people involved in a crime. Uh, let's say three people go to a bank. One person pu- pulls out a gun, shoots and kills the bank teller. That's a capital murder. All three could be charged with capital murder under the law of parties in Texas. But – the other two could make the argument of, I didn't know this person was going to get shot and killed. Mm-hmm. And then so what should the punishment be there? They're still looking at capital murder where the only punishment is either death or life in prison without parole. So then if you get a plea bargain, then sometimes folks don't understand why and the how things happen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This I enjoyed being This has been a lot of fun. So go to uh, what's your website? Beyond the Beyond the Gavel Podcast.com. Yeah, and you can uh, learn more about the criminal justice system with uh, Judge Ron Ronell. And uh, that's it for today, so I'll talk to you later. You plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.